Hello, 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 and welcome to this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. A lot happier Logan Blackman from the Logan Blackman Show as there would have been last week when we recorded, or at least attempted to record a Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show before we just ended up sacking the whole thing off and not even doing a show because I was emotionally and mentally drained on Sunday evening. Good freaking lord, but right now, I'm in a whole hell of a lot better mood. Like, it is insanely different from the week prior. It is insane how much happier I am right now. And I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. If you know me well enough, you would know I'm a Bills fan. And you would know that last week, the Buffalo Bills lost to the Jacksonville Jaguars by a score of 6-9, to LOL. The first win in 420 days on U.S. soil, LOL. And the Jaguars won, had more takeaways in that game than they had the entire first seven games combined. Two to four in the Jaguars-Bills game last week. This week, though, the Bills go on and take the guy, the take on the guy who said in his mind he was the number one overall pick in the draft, Mike White, who has been this fairy tale story around the NFL about how he had a great game against the Bengals, looked good against the Colts, and then now he comes crashing back down to earth against the Buffalo Bills. And to me, this kind of now I don't I never want anybody to fail in the NFL, but I always do think it's funny how quick people jump on things. Like, Zach Wilson struggling. Yes, he's a rookie. That should be expected. Yes, Mike White did not play in any NFL games to that point, but he is a lot older than Zach Wilson. I think four or five years older than Zach Wilson, so his maturity is going to be there. But I think it's hilarious how we just jump. Zach Wilson sucks, Zach Wilson's ass, and Mike White's the future of the franchise. And we came on the show after Mike White went off and said, Calm down. Calm down. This is going to be fun. But they're, you're crazy to think Zach Wilson will not get his shot at quarterback again. You think they're just going to move on from Zach Wilson like that for Mike White? You're crazy. And to me, this kind of reminded me of the sentence and the descent of Kevin, Kyle Allen a few years ago. Remember when Cam Newton got hurt in Carolina and Kyle Allen looked really, really good for the first like six games he started? Well, if you listen to Logan Blackman's show back then, we told you the entire time, it's not sustainable. It's not sustainable. And this is the same thing that's happened here. He had one really good game against the Bengals. A Bengals team that came off a very emotional and very good win against the Baltimore Ravens. And then they go against the Jets with Mike White at quarterback, and then he goes off. Then they play the Colts. They lose. And then this week, against the Buffalo Bills in New Jersey, we talked about this. I was very nervous that the Bills were favored by 12.5 points because they just got beat by a team they were favored by 15 points against. But man, oh man, Mike Whitestock went crashing back down to earth. And I would like to say welcome back to reality or welcome back to the real world, Mr. Mike White, after throwing four interceptions in three quarters before getting knocked out of the game in the fourth quarter for Joe Flacco. It was a late hit or what was it called? It was some penalty on AJ Epineza. Mike White got taken out of the game. But good Lord, every single member of the Bills secondary got a takeaway today. Everybody apart from Micah Hyde got an interception today. You had Jordan Poyer, Tredavious White, Taron Johnson, and Levi Wallace all getting interceptions. And apart from the first one that Taron Johnson got, the other three were terrible passes. The first one I will give Mike White somewhat, I will come to Mike White's defense because he did get his arm hit and it fell right into the arms of Taron Johnson. The other three were horrible, horrible, horrible interceptions. Basically, it looked like the defender was running the route with how the ball just landed in their laps every single time. Tredavious White, Levi Wallace, and Jordan Poyer's interceptions. 
And then Micah Hyde got a takeaway in the game. He stripped a fumble, forced a fumble against Corey Davis and recovered his own fumble. It was a utterly dominating performance by the Bills. And it was scary again. It started off really good. For the the Bills' first, uh, what was it, five plays in the their first drive of the game, five of their plays, four of their plays went for first downs and a touchdown. The other, the first play of the game was a deep ball down the sideline to Diggs that was incomplete. Four plays on their first drive all went for first downs and a touchdown. So they started up 7-0, then they made a field goal 10-0, then they kind of stalled for a little bit, so it was kind of scary, and then they scored a touchdown in the second quarter to make it 17-3 at halftime, and then they just laid it on them. 21 points in the third quarter. Yeah. And they didn't take their foot off the gas either. They did not take their foot off the gas. The fourth quarter, when they're up 38-3, or 38-10, my bad, they're still throwing the ball deep down the field and end up scoring on the drive anyways, winning 45-17. to Now, they did get some couple garbage time touchdowns, late game touchdowns. Mike White uh, led the Jets down the field. Michael Carter punched it in from there. And then Joe Flacco led the team down the field. And I don't remember who scored the touchdown for the Jets on that drive. But, yeah, utterly dominating performance by the Buffalo Bills. It was a passing touchdown to Elijah Moore. I couldn't remember who it was, but I looked it up now. Like, Devin Singletary, Matt Breedus finally getting some play time, and Zach Moss all had rushing touchdowns. Isaiah McKenzie had a rushing touchdown. Diggs and Gabriel Davis, or Diggs and Gabriel Davis had over 100 yards receiving. Diggs had a rush receiving touchdown. Matt Breida had a receiving touchdown in the first drive of the game. Josh Allen had two passing touchdowns, 366 yards, 21 for 28 passing. Easy game. Easy. There was not really one moment where I was like, oh, this will be stressful. There was one point... The Jets came out with the first drive of the second half. My dad said, interception would be really nice here. And Tredavious White gets an interception. And then later in the second half, the Jets are driving down the field. And my dad goes, I'm starting to get kind of nervous now with the Jets. I'd like to keep this a little low scoring. I said, don't worry. Based on how this game's going, they'll probably throw another interception. And that's where Jordan Poyer's interception came into play. Like a play later. Like, this game was so predictable. <laughs> and Mike White only got sacked one time in this game. Like, the interceptions, apart from the first one, were all on him. <laughs> the other one, I will defend him to a certain extent and say his arm got hit. I don't remember who it got hit by. Uh, it was one of their, what was his name, Obata? I think it was Obata, F.A. Obata got the got a hand to his arm to force an incomplete, or force an interception, but man. Yeah. And Jay Feely, who doesn't say a lot of, like, he's famous, obviously, for kicking in the NFL, but then again... The, the what was it, the missed field goal in college football where he said it was good and it was nowhere good. They went to break when he was calling that game. He said this battle was basically to see who the start, the backup quarterback will be for Zach Wilson, and that's 100% the case. 100% between Joe Flacco and Mike White. The Mike White experiment was fun. It was fun while it lasted. But he was never actually going to be the starting quarterback for the New York Jets based off that one game against the Cincinnati Bengals. It was fun. It was really fun. As a Bills fan, as a neutral for the Jets, I guess, it was fun. But then you look at it deeper, and they're like, oh, the most passing yards his first career start since Cam Newton. The guy right below Mike White was, I think, Kevin Cobb. Which is not... <laughs> we got, we want to compare him to Cam Newton, but the guy he just passed is Kevin Cobb. Remember how good Kevin Cobb was in the NFL? It was awesome. Supposed to be the starter, a long-term successor to Donovan McNabb, got hurt against the Packers, then we see Michael Vick trot in there and never give the job back. And then Kevin Cobb played for the Bills for, a felt like a day. I don't remember how long he played for the Bills. 
basically just blinked and he was gone. Never did anything for the Bills. But yeah, it was fun. And now it's over. Four interceptions. Yeah, it's utterly dominating performance. This is the kind of stuff you want to see from the Bills in a bounce-back game. Losing to a team you should never lose to in a million years, the Jaguars. And taking it to a team that you should throttle, which is what they did today. And then there were some other insane performances this weekend as well. Like, insane, insane performances. Like, we had the Falcons, the, or the Cowboys, coming back after losing the Broncos the week before. And then slaughtering the Falcons 43-3. They were 28-3 at one point, which obviously sparked a whole lot of memes in the NFL, or on Twitter for the NFL. It was just... An abysmal, <laughs> abysmal game. And then another one. Patriots slaughtered the Browns 45-7. to Which, again, we could keep raising the point of, is Baker Mayfield going to be the long-term guy in Cleveland? We've asked this question before. It's been popped up on social media numerous times. And now we're answering it again because you just got slaughtered by the... I mean, the Patriots are a good team. I'm not... Don't want to take anything away from the Patriots. They have two good wins recently against the Chargers and Browns. We talked about them earlier in the year, their wins against one-win Jets, lost to a one-win Dolphins team, or two-win Dolphins team now, two-win Jets team now, and the, what was it, the Panthers. So there wasn't really a lot of credibility there, but they're playing really well. Mac Jones is playing really, really well. And it's just basically a two-horse race between him and uh, Jamar Chase, rookie of the year. One would, one would assume, anyways, that those are the only two people in the running for Rookie of the Year. I mean, Najee Harris is going to be up there as well because he had another very nice day against the, the Detroit Lions. We'll get to it in a tiny bit. But would you staple your franchise to Baker Mayfield? Would you do that? I, I don't think I would do that. And we made fun of the Browns fans and Baker Mayfield a few years ago. And I like Baker Mayfield, but I can still make fun of him. You, you make fun of people you like, too. We made fun of him because Browns fans were like, oh, I would never trade Baker Mayfield for anybody in the NFL. Not a single soul in the NFL. That was coming off the fact that they just made the playoffs for the first time in forever and won a playoff game against the Steelers. Not actually looking at Baker Mayfield as a quarterback, more as going, oh, wow, the team did really, really well. And they almost beat the Chiefs in the divisional round. Or, the well, the, yeah, the divisional round. But... That was bad. <laughs> they got throttled by the freaking New England Patriots at 45-7. And again, Mac Jones looked really, really good again. And then the game we were just talking about a tiny bit, the Lions and the Steelers, ends in a 16-16 tie. <laughs> Our first tie of the season, and the Lions will not be going 0-17. They will not be the first 0-17 in NFL history. They were the first 0-16 team in NFL history. They will not become the first 0-17 team in NFL history with a 16-16 tie. That game was brutal to watch. We had it flipped back and forth between the Bills-Jets game and NFL Red Zone, and it was, every time they flipped it on, it was just depressing. You heard before the game Mason Rudolph starting, you knew it was going to be a pretty depressing game anyways because he's not a good quarterback at all. We've talked about that. A billion times in the show. I get he's 5-3 and three as a starter, but who the hell actually cares? He's not very good. He had 50 passes today and 242 yards. You throw 50 passes and you're only throwing a... You're below 250 passing yards. Something went horribly wrong. <laughs> it's a lot of crossing routes and a lot of checkdowns. But good lord. Ugh. Rained almost the entire game. Gross weather. I saw one of the worst field goal attempts I've ever seen. 
uh, by the Detroit Lions, Ryan Santoso, who I didn't even know who that was going into today. And yeah, he missed a pretty bad field goal. Never had a chance of making it through the uprights. And it resulted in a tie. The Steelers were driving after the missed field goal. Well, no, they punted, and then the Lions punted, and then the Steelers, they had the ball. And then I think it was Pat Fryermuth Muth that fumbled. I think. Yeah, it was Pat Fryermuth that fumbled the ball in while they're driving. The eight seconds left in the game. They had one timeout left because you get one timeout in overtime. They hadn't used it yet. And uh, then the fumble happened, and the ball just died on the sideline. And the Lions recovered it. Tried to get something going at the end with the little hook and ladder things that never seemed to work apart from, like, a few. The Stanford-Cal game and then the Miami Patriots game a few years ago. Those are the only two I could think of of times that's actually ever worked in the history of sports. But people still continuously try to do that. I don't know why, but I guess if you get to make Sports Center, I guess. You get to make something out of it. You get to go viral on social media for doing a bunch of laterals. But, hey, you know what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they did that or not. They didn't lose. That's all that matters. The Detroit Lions did not lose a game. They are not going to be 0-17. This is beautiful. <laughs> 0-17 is no more. Is no more. You can go 0-16-1, but you can't go 0-17. Like we said, they were the first 0-16 team in NFL history back in 2008. They had a chance to go to be the first 0-17 team as well. Did not do it. Which is very sad, but it, you know what? It happens. It happens sometimes. <laughs> uh, in other games we had going around the NFL today, the Washington football team beat the Bucks, which is one of the weirder results we saw in the day. There was a tie, and yet the Bucks beating the Washington football or the, the Washington football team beating the Bucks is still arguably weirder. Then that result. With how bad the Bucks have been this year, they're 3-6 and six now, with Tom Brady being the front-runner for MVP. And then the Bucks or the Watch football team, losing Terry McLaurin and Chase Young. Chase Young done for the season with a torn ACL, which him a speedy recovery. Or did Terry McLaurin? I swear I saw something Terry McLaurin got hurt today. Am I wrong about that? I could be completely wrong about that. I thought I saw he got hurt. But we know Chase Young got hurt. And they still won. And Taylor Heineke outplayed Tom Brady. Which is crazy. 19-29 to was the final. That was one of the... That was what was supposed to be one of the easiest games of the weekend. Was the Bucks washington football team. It was going to be... Oh yeah, it's going to be... It's going to be the Bucks easy in this game. Uh, no, it was not. Not at all. Not <laughs> at all. And then we also had the Jaguars lose to the Colts, 23-17. Titans beat the Saints. They put Julio Jones on IR today, 23-21. Uh, Packers and Seahawks currently, the Packers are up 3-0. Aaron Rodgers and Russell Wilson are both back. We had the Eagles beating the Broncos, 10-7. Panthers are beating the Cardinals, 20-0, with Cam Newton having a rushing touchdown and a passing touchdown in this game in his triumphant return to Carolina, which is really cool to see. Got a taunting call after his first touchdown because, you know, the NFL is not very fun nowadays. But it doesn't matter. They're up 20 to nothing, and it's kind of nostalgic. Well, it's not kind of. It is nostalgic to see Cam Newton back in a Carolina Panthers uniform. And then we had the Vikings beating the Chargers right now 13-3. Kirk Cousins has a passing touchdown in the game. Chargers struggling so far to move the ball. Justin Herbert has an interception to his name so far. And Tyler Conklin with his one catch of the game so far, gets a touchdown. But I saw this on NFL Network. To get away from scores for a little bit, I saw this on NFL Network this morning because if you don't watch 
NFL preview or like pregame shows for the NFL. I'd recommend you watch the NFL Network's one. I think it's the best between them, CBS and ESPN, Fox. I think NFL Network's got the best ones. Got Rich Eisen, Steve Mariucci, Kurt Warner, and Michael Irvin. It's a great show to watch. But they went through and did midseason MVPs or midseason awards. I'm sorry. So we're going to go through and list all the rewards that we think should be given out. Rewards that, you know, people might not be seeing or it might not actually be real awards. I don't know. But this is what we're looking at right now. So for MVP so far this season, for just talking about the midway point right now, I know he just lost the Washington football team, but I'm going to give it to Thomas Edward Brady. He's had himself a very, very nice season apart from throwing two interceptions today. 25 touchdowns, which is first in the NFL, 2,600 passing yards, which is second, and only five interceptions, which two he threw today. He has thrown four interceptions in the past two weeks, okay? That's not great, or the past two games, I should say, the because they, they had a bye week after the Saints game, so the past two games, he's thrown two interceptions. But yeah, I would say right now, he's the front runner for MVP, but I think Josh Allen's obviously going to be mentioned up there. Lamar Jackson will be mentioned up there. Uh, Kyler Murray, I think will also be mentioned. Dak Prescott will probably be mentioned up there as well at some point. Cooper Cup for honorable mention could be mentioned up there, but there's going to be some fun one by it's basically a quarterback award at this point. And the offensive player of the year is the skill position award. It's basically MVP for the guy that's not the quarterback, unless the quarterback is having an insane year. Like we saw with Lamar Jackson winning the MVP or Mahomes winning the MVP. We have had big time performances from those quarterbacks. Or Lamar was the unanimous MVP, so he obviously was going to win Offensive Player of the Year. But like last year, you had Aaron Rodgers winning the MVP, and I'm pretty sure Derrick Henry won Offensive Player of the Year award. It's just second place for MVP, pretty much. And though Derrick Henry is not going to win it because he's on IR right now, he is in, he was having himself an insane year. He's at almost was almost at a thousand yards rushing, but by the time he got hurt, but if we had to choose somebody, I think it's pretty obvious who we should choose. For the Offensive Player of the Year this year, it's Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup leads the league in receptions, leads the league in yards, and leads the league in touchdowns. Like he just he's done everything for the St. Louis Rams or Los Angeles Rams. Jeez, that was not even intentional to do that. Los Angeles Rams. And speaking of the Rams, I think Matt Stafford's going to be mentioned in MVP as well. But Cooper Cup should win the Offensive Player of the Year this year. He's been the best wide receiver in the NFL for this season. And with Derrick Henry going down injured. I guess you could argue, like, Jonathan Taylor being in there as well. Maybe one of the quarterbacks wins it. Maybe Brady wins Offensive Player of the Year. I don't know. But I don't think he's having that insane of a year to where you go, oh, yeah, he's going to win Offensive Player of the Year as well as MVP. He'll win MVP. I'm pretty sure Cooper Cup, at this point, will win Offensive Player of the Year. If we're going Defensive Player of the Year, I'm going to give it to my preseason pick, Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett leads the league in sacks right now. He has 12 sacks to his name this season. 20 solo tackles to his name so far as well. He is clobbering people right now. He's doing insane. He's on pace to pass Michael Strahan for the all-time sack record, which is 22 sacks. I think he's on pace for 23 this season. There's been one game this season where he has not registered at least half a sack, and that was week two against the Texans. He had zero, obviously. If he had less than half a sack, you can't get less than half a sack. I <laughs> have, have something above zero. But yeah, he obviously had the big game against the Bears where he had four and a half sacks. He's had multiple half and a sack games this season. Got a sack today against the New England Patriots. 12 sacks to his name. He's had a very nice year. He has 33 total tackles to his name. I think he's going to be the front runner, or got to be the front runner for defense player of the year. I think also you can mention like TJ Watt 
will obviously be mentioned up there. I think Aaron Donald's just a shoe in to be mentioned in it to some capacity, just because on regardless if he's on his day or not, and we've said this before, positionalists, if we're just going off best player in the NFL, regardless of position, Aaron Donald is the most dominant player in the NFL. That doesn't mean he'll win every single award every single year. Charles Barkley once said when he won the MVP, just because he won the award does not mean he was a better basketball player than Michael Jordan. You have a better year, but you're not a better player. I would still rank Aaron Donald better than Miles Garrett and TJ Watt, but he's not going to win the award this year. I think that's got to go to Miles Garrett this year. We said that preseason. I think I had TJ Watt coming in second. I'm not 100% sure. I'll have to go back and look at that at some point, but... Miles Garrett is playing out of his mind right now. If we're looking at the Rookie of the Year stuff, AFC Rookie of the Year, or Offensive Rookie of the Year, sorry. Like we said, I think it's really a two-horse race between Chase and Mac Jones. But I think with how good Jamar Chase has been, this is a little different to last year where we had Justin Herbert and Justin Jefferson. Where Justin Jefferson went off, but Herbert broke almost every single significant rookie passing record his rookie year. Mac Jones has not really done that. Mac Jones has played really, really well for a really good Patriots team. But Jamar Chase, he has more receiving touchdowns than the entire rookie class combined. At least he did last week. I guess I don't know about this week. But yeah, seven touchdowns. He's third in the league in, with yards. He only has 44 receptions to his name. He averages almost 20 yards per catch. 19 yards per reception, which is good for fourth in the NFL, which is just ridiculous to think about. The only other people that are up there with him, which I don't even know if we can really include this, but Cyril Grayson for Tampa Bay has one catch for 50 yards. So he's technically, I guess, leading the league in yards per catch, <laughs> which he got a touchdown of it too. So I mean, one catch, 50 yards, one touchdown. That's how you want to do it. For defensive rookie of the year, I think it's going to go to Micah Parsons. This is our preseason pick as well. He just does everything for the, uh, the Dallas Cowboys this season. I almost forgot what team he played for. But he just does everything. Whether you line him at middle linebacker, outside linebacker, he just gets after players, makes plays all over the field. And I forgot to mention this person for Defensive Player of the Year, and I apologize for this. Trayvon Diggs got another interception. He's had eight interceptions on the season so far in nine games, which is very, very impressive. But I still think Miles Garrett will be getting the award. I completely, It completely blanked my mind for Trayvon Diggs to win the rookie Defensive Player of the Year award. And I apologize for that. That was not intentional. He will be mentioning that. I just think Miles Garrett has had a better year than him. And then for coach of the year this year, I think there's, well, I bashed this dude quite a few times in the show, and I was confused why he got the job in the first place. But I think it has to be Cliff Kingsbury at this point. You're at the, you're the coach of the best team in the NFL. You got to win last week against a division rival without your starting quarterback and your best wide receiver, which is huge. Now you are currently losing to the Carolina Panthers right now. Twenty, well, it was twenty to nothing. Was well, still twenty to nothing. The Panthers got the ball back, but I still think at this point in time he has to be mentioned up there. Other coaches that you could talk about, I think Brandon Staley for the Chargers has to be mentioned up there. Uh, Sean McVay is going to get talked about as well, just because of how good the Rams have been this year. Which is, he'll always be mentioned in that, regardless if the Rams are good or bad or whatever. He's always going to get talked about in that. Bill Belichick. I think could get mentioned up there as well. And anybody else, really? Zach Taylor? Maybe. Now, we've talked about before that I don't really think Zach Taylor's time in Cincinnati is going to be that long based on the fact that Joe Brady is going to be wanting a head coaching job soon. And I think Zach Taylor's somewhat limited as a head coach. And Joe Brady, for those of you who don't know, was the offensive coordinator for the LSU Tigers Tiger team that won the national championship with Burrow and Chase, Jefferson, all those guys. 
and you got Chase and, or Chase and Burrow on the Bengals, I would be pretty shocked if Joe Brady went anywhere other than Cincinnati at this point. And I, I think there will be a shorter leash on Zach Taylor this year. So if they end up falling apart towards the end of the season, because we've, they've had a very good start to the season. They're one of the best teams in the NFC, AFC North this year. Beat up on the Baltimore Ravens, even though they did get beat up by the Cleveland Browns the very next, or two weeks later and got beat by the Jets. He'll get, I think he deserves at least somewhat of a mention. Maybe Mike McCarthy as well. Maybe. I'm not a huge fan of Mike McCarthy, but he could probably be mentioned up there as well. But I think the leader, winner right now is Cliff Kingsbury. And then what other rewards are we coming back with? A comeback player of the year. <laughs> I guess that would make sense. Who was out last year? Dak, Pre- Dak Prescott will win comeback player of the year. Yeah, I think that's fair. So my awards so far for this midway point of the season, MVP Tom Brady. Offensive Player of the Year is Cooper Cup. Defensive Player of the Year is Miles Garrett. Offensive Rookie of the Year is Jamar Chase. Defensive Rookie of the Year is Micah Parsons. And then Coach of the Year is Cliff Kingsbury. Comeback Player of the Year is Dak Prescott. Okay? And then we can give out some miscellaneous awards as well. Best Quarterback over a one-week span, Mike White. I think he has to be mentioned up there for Best Quarterback under a one-week span. For replacing a rookie quarterback and playing really, really well, that's cool. I like that performance. For performance of the year, we will give that to the Cincinnati Bengals over the Baltimore Ravens. I think that was a very fun performance. Completely unexpected after we just watched the Baltimore Ravens shit-stomp the L.A. Chargers the week before. And then we see the Bengals pound them in Baltimore with Jamar Chase going off against Marlon Humphrey. I think that would have to go down as the performance of the year. And an honorable mentions go to the... Jaguars over in London taking on the Miami Dolphins. That was a very, very fun game to watch. And obviously, tie of the year has to go to, at this point, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Detroit Lions. I think that one is an obvious choice for tie of the year. One, because it's the only tie that's happened so far. What other things have we got? What other awards can we give out at this point of this season? Best quarterback that's going to be replaced next year. Oh, I think that could be a really fun award, Logan. Now, we haven't really thought of the best quarterback that could get replaced next year, but I think the front runner has to be... Who could it be for best quarterback to be replaced next year? I don't know. (laughs) I'm looking around the league. I'm thinking of quarterbacks that... Teams that will draft quarterbacks aren't necessarily in a position where they can go like, oh, this quarterback is really good. Like, I guess the front runner is Taylor Heineke, I guess. But if we had to choose a controversial one, Baker Mayfield's going to be the guy or Tua. I think it's Baker or Tua will be the best quarterback that could get replaced. If we're talking about will get replaced, it's Taylor Heineke. Could get replaced and make things a little more interesting, it's Baker or Tua because of Deshaun Watson and the Browns having to pay Baker at some point. So maybe they're going to want to look at a new quarterback eventually. I'm not saying they'll do that this offseason, but if we had to choose guys for that award, it would probably that, that be those guys. And since we haven't had it yet, first coach to get fired award, which earlier in the year we would have said it was a shoe-in for Urban Meyer, and then before the season was a shoe-in to be probably Matt Nagy. But if I had to choose somebody to get fired first this season, because to my knowledge we haven't had anybody fired. I could be completely wrong about that statement I hope it's not Dan Campbell I hope it's not Dan Campbell I know the Lions are 0-8-1 but they didn't have very high expectations before the season started we had a winning two win two games there was not extremely high hopes for the Detroit Lions going into the season 
But if I had to choose first, I guess John Gruden, does that count? He stepped down, but we didn't expect that thing to happen. If that whole email situation never happened, John Gruden would probably still be the coach of Las Vegas Raiders at this point. Okay? I think that would be a case. Which is the only one that we've had so far for your first coach to be fired or stepped down award. But for coaches that haven't had an email controversy to step down or get fired award, goes to... I don't know if you can actually hear me drumming on my desk. If, the, if you can't, this is probably just really awkward silence for you. So we're talking over it for a little bit. It's not very on-beat on drumming either. Matt Nagy, yeah! No, it's probably, I would if I had to bet, it'd probably be Brian Flores, if I had to be honest here. Because how bad the Dolphins' defense has been this year with how good it was last year. They led the league in takeaways. Xavier Howard had 10 interceptions. I believe he won Defensive Player of the Year last year. Or no, it was Aaron Donald, because he had still had 10 interceptions, but didn't win it. That's what it was. But I think Vic Fangio as well, for how good the Broncos started, and then you have games like against the Cowboys where you win... I don't think Vic Fangio is that good of a coach anyways, but now that you're a really weird team where you don't know any week, like any, you're going to be favored to win by 30 points and still lose, or you could be favored to lose by 20 points and somehow manage to squeak out a win on the road, I might add. Now those are not official numbers or anything, but if I had to choose people, I guess controversial one, controversial one, Kyle Shanahan, but that's a whole other th- a whole other story. We don't need to get into the Kyle Shanahan thing right now. If we had to choose a controversial, because you got the obvious ones, and then you got to choose at least one controversial one for the first coach to get fired or step down without an email controversy. That's what we got. That's what we're looking at right now. Kyle Shanahan's the dark horse, but I think the favorites at this point, because I don't think you could fire David Coley. I think that'd be a little harsh because no one wants that Texans job. I don't think you could fire Dan Campbell. I mean, who else would even be? Nick Sirianni? I could totally see Nick Sirianni be fired. I guess he's a a nominee for that as well. Robert Sala won't get... Mike Zimmer! Oh, no, I changed that. Mike Zimmer will be the first coach to get fired. Mike frickin' Zimmer. That's my pick. (laughs) That is my pick for that. Because, look, the Vikings are so close. They're so, so close. They've had multiple games to where they could have won but didn't. And I think this has just got to be annoying for people at this point. I'm kind of surprised he's held on to his job for this long. But no, I take back Nagy and Fangio. I think Zimmer's going to be the first one. Mike Zimmer. So congratulations. I know it was delayed. It was kind of like the Steve Harvey thing with the Miss America pageant or Miss Universe pageant where he called out the wrong winner and had to come back and say, oh, actually, you're not winning that. So to Nagy and Fangio, I know we gave you all the award. I'm going to have to withdraw the award from you. And hand it over to Mike Zimmer. So give Mike a round of applause as he makes his way to the stage. So yeah, very fun awards. What other awards can we give out this year? Best quarter, best player named Josh Allen? Oh, it's still Josh Allen. I mean, who else is going to be? No, the Bills won. I know if we're talking head-to-head, Josh Allen beat Josh Allen. Okay, we know this. Head-to-head happened. But if we're talking a grand scheme of things, Josh Allen is not better than Josh Allen. Okay, so Josh Allen is still... The front runner, I would say, even though he had a bad week, I think Josh Allen's still the favorite of the Josh Allen Award for best player named Josh Allen. Any other awards we could give out? 
This year, Frog Voice Award, Patrick Mahomes. Give yourself a round of applause, Patrick. That's a very nice award. Uh, biggest Douchebag Award. I think that's a very... Matt Nagy, give yourself a round of applause for Biggest Douchebag Award. I think that's a very good award for you, Matt Nagy. Uh, oh, Jalen Ramsey, Biggest Foreskin. <laughs> that's my fantasy team name. We had to mention at some point. But yeah, I think Jalen Ramsey, he has to be up there as well. You could give any... Support, uh, what is it called? Superlative? Is that a, is that how you say it? Superlative? No, superlative sounds right. Negative superlative you have, give that to Jalen. Maybe not on the field stuff, because I'm don't. i not going to say anything bad about Jalen Street Ramsey, the, the corner. The person pisses me off. <laughs> uh, biggest foreskin, though, sounds really weird. I don't know if we want to give a award for that. <laughs> I don't know. Is that, a, is that a... Can you say that about somebody? Is that is that is that frowned upon to say that? I don't know. Uh, best bald coach slash player award. I think this year, the best bald coach slash player award, if we're just looking at individual stuff this year, I would say still, at this point, I would find it hard to believe that anybody other than Bruce Arians will take home the best bald award. Because just the Bucks, I know, again, it's the same thing with the Brady thing. I know they lost the watch football team today. I know they did that. But fresh off a of Super Bowl, he's very bald. He walked up into the game in Washington with a ton of swag on. He had a leather jacket with a popped collar. Like, come on. This dude's going to win the bald, best bald player award, player coach award. I guess Andrew Whitworth has me mentioned up there. Andy Reid, I don't know if I could really give it to you this year because the Chiefs kind of suck. You're second to last in the division. Joint record with the Broncos, so that's not really something you should be proud of this year. And if the Broncos win against the Eagles for at least – Six more hours, you're going to have the worst record in the AFC West because the Broncos, you, the Raiders and Chiefs play Sunday Night Football tonight. A Robert Sala, I guess, is an honorable mention as well, but with him being a defensive coach and giving up the most points in the league this year, I don't think we can really give him the honorable mention of bald coach slash player. Uh, Sean McDermott? No, Sean McDermott, you're the winner because <laughs> I like Sean McDermott more. And you have a better points. Yeah, you have a better points differential. You have the number one offense and deep. Yeah, Sean McDermott. Yeah, I forgot he was bald. Don't know how I forgot he was bald. But Sean McDermott wins the best bald coach slash player award without any email scandals. <laughs> any other awards? Uh, best team with a bird mascot. The Arizona Cardinals. Congratulations on your award as well. I think that's enough awards for today. I think we've given out a good award, but if we're being serious, the awards we gave out earlier, if you completely just forgot the awards we gave out to this point, we gave out MVP to Brady, Offensive Player of the Year to Cooper Cup, Defensive Player of the Year to Miles Garrett, Offensive Rookie of the Year to Jamar Chase, Defensive Rookie of the Year to Miles, jeez, Micah Parsons, Coach of the Year to Cliff Kingsbury, and Comeback Player of the Year, Dak Prescott. Those are the official awards. We ran through a bunch of awards that are totally real and you should look up more often. But, yeah, that's what we're looking at right now. But right now, we've got the Vikings beating the Chargers 13-10. The Chargers have scored a touchdown. Panthers are beating the Cardinals 23-0 at halftime. Eagles are still beating the Broncos 17-10. And the Seahawks and Packers game is still at an exhilarating 3-0 clip at this point with two minutes left in the first half. But the Packers are driving, and they are up 3-0. Then we got the Chiefs-Raiders game on tonight. Chiefs favored by 2.5. I, I don't like either team. And I'd kind of like to see the Raiders do their traditional midseason collapse like they always do. But I really like seeing the Chiefs suck. I would love to see them be 500. I would love that. And then we got the Rams and 49ers on Monday Night Football, which could be a very fun game. Could be a very fun game to watch. I hope the 49ers actually show up for this game. 
unlike what they did last week against Colt McCoy and the Arizona Cardinals, like the Panthers are taking it to Colt McCoy and the Arizona Cardinals right now. The Panthers. They brought Cam Newton out of the just out of nowhere. This is similar to when the Bills brought Derek Anderson off the golf course to make him start a Monday night football game against the Patriots. It's the same exact thing. Now it was against the they played earlier in that year against the Colts because they couldn't bear to see another game with Nathan Peterman as the starting quarterback. And then they saw it again later that year as well. So much so they brought Matt Barkley in off the streets to play against the New York Jets on my birthday and the Bills thrashed the Jets that game, which was freaking awesome. Oh my goodness, but for college football, we got awards we can give on college football as well, mainly just one. I don't really care about the other awards in college football because they don't really matter apart from the big boy, the Heisman Trophy. So in this week in college football, we had some fun games. We had number one Georgia taking it to Tennessee. I thought Tennessee would show up a little bit more than what they did on Saturday. Hendon Hooker played all right, but Georgia was just too much in the end. They played well in the first half and then just did not show up in the second half. Just decided, nah, nah, it doesn't really matter. And then Alabama took it to New Mexico State pretty easily. Oregon beat Washington State. Ohio State beat Purdue. They're they're really coming alive right now. Michigan beat Penn State. We had Michigan State taking it to Maryland. I thought Michigan State's offense or defense would be a little more lenient than what they were against Maryland because Michigan State's defense is pretty bad. And Maryland's offense, as we found out during the Iowa game, is really, really good. So, yeah, I thought they'd do a little bit better. I mean, they scored 21 points. But yeah, I'm not surprised Michigan State won, though. Uh, Baylor upset Oklahoma, which was freaking awesome. Screw them. That was an odd. No, don't screw Oklahoma. I like Bob Stoops. I like Oklahoma. But screw their fans. We went from booing Spencer Rattler to booing Caleb Williams in the span of four weeks. Like, this is ridiculous. You you booed the other one, and now you're booing the guy that just replaced him? You can't really. You can't do that. You can't do that. But Spencer came in, did little to nothing. Caleb Williams is battling some sort of an injury from what I've heard. I, I could be wrong about that. But he got benched regardless, and they lost by 13 points, which is freaking awesome. And then we had Notre Dame beating one-dimensional Virginia without their one-dimension and Brennan Armstrong, who did not play in this game. So, unsurprisingly, Virginia did nothing on offense, scored three points. Oklahoma State killed TCU 63-17. to Ole Miss beat A&M 29-19. We had Wake Forest beating NC State in an exhilarating 45 to 42 game there. Devin Leary threw four touchdowns in the game. Freaking awesome. Though it came up short and losing by three. And then you had Mississippi State beating Auburn, Wisconsin taking in Northwestern, San Diego State beating Nevada in a game that we said was going to be a fun one, and it was. 23 to 21 was the final. UTSA beating Southern Miss and are still undefeated, 10 and 0 on the season. Utah came closer than what was expected against Arizona. 38 to 29 was the final. Utah won. And then Arkansas beat. LSU, which was very nice to see as well. But the game that everybody was caring about, there were three games everybody cared about this week in the state of Iowa. First game. First game. Iowa versus Minnesota. Floyd Rosedale, like we said on Friday, it doesn't matter what Minnesota's record, it doesn't matter what Iowa's record is, Iowa should never, ever, ever, ever lose to Minnesota. That's just how it works. Doesn't matter what their records are. Like a few years ago when Minnesota was undefeated, no one was really worried about it, really. I mean, that's the same Minnesota team that almost lost to South Dakota State week one with Jabori Gibbs, who's been like the third-string quarterback now at South Dakota State for the past two years because he keeps getting hurt. And then Iowa comes in wearing these black uniforms and beats them. And then the year after, beat him again. And then the year after, which was this year, beat him again. Now, this was Alex Padilla's first start, and I'm going to say 
it wasn't like an exhilarating performance from Alex Padilla at all, but let's just put it like this. It was a whole hell of a lot less frustrating to watch Alex Padilla play than Spencer Petras. I will say that. You can say, oh, Spencer Petras isn't the problem. Oh, it's all Brian Ferentz's fault. Yeah, we all know Brian Ferentz sucks ass. I mean, no one said he doesn't. I don't know if there's a single Iowa fan that can defend Brian Ferentz. I don't even know if Kirk will defend Brian Ferentz. But Padilla played well. Your first ever start in a somewhat primetime game, because I know it's weird times, 2.30 kickoff. It's going to end in the evening, so it's not technically primetime. Afternoon kickoff in a rivalry game, it's going to be a tough one. It's a team that has had weird success this year, and then it had some weird losses, like to Bowling Green and freaking Illinois. We've talked about that. It's really weird. And then they blanked Colorado, which is really surprising, because Colorado's really good. <laughs> no, they're... They're not. I was just being. I was just making this silly. They beat up on Purdue as well. They beat Nebraska. They beat up on Maryland. Killed Northwestern, a team that Iowa beat by five the week before. And Iowa came in and beat Minnesota, which was expected, like we said. And they covered, which is all that matters. Good teams win. Great teams cover. That's all you can ask for. They won by five. They think they were favored by two, which is good. Tyler Goodson started a little slow. Fifty-nine yards in the game. Eighteen carries. Didn't really do anything that spectacular. Padilla had three total touchdowns in the game. No turnovers. And looked good. Looked good. Charlie Jones had a really nice game. Two catches, 106 yards. Br- cooked. Cooked a Minnesota defender on his long touchdown. 72-yard passing touchdown from Padilla to Charlie Jones. Now, there are a couple balls Padilla throws that are wobbly. And it looks like Peyton Manning's throwing them. Like Peyton Manning now. Like Peyton Manning threw a wobbly football when he played. Peyton Manning now, I think, would throw the same thing as Alex Padilla was. But it's more exciting to watch Padilla. He moves a whole, which isn't surprising. It's like saying that a toddler would lose to Usain Bolt in the track race. Obviously, Usain Bolt would beat a toddler. That's like saying, like, obviously Padilla is going to be more fun to watch in regards to the run game than Petrus is. And Padilla didn't do a lot in the run game. I mean, three yards rushing, but you can see him move around, which is fun. He doesn't need to be Michael Vick or Lamar Jackson just running 100 yards a game. No, be somewhat mobile. He looks a whole hell of a lot more calm back there as well, which is also very nice. And this wasn't a, like, you know, most exciting game to watch. I mean, you said you scored 27 points. You scored seven points the past two weeks. Scored seven points against Purdue, seven points against Wisconsin. This was a lot more fun than those two weeks. But again, it's not really saying a lot. <laughs> it's like saying Usain Bolt would lose, beat a toddler. <laughs> of course he would. But yeah, uh, nice. I don't think Petrus will get his job back. I, again, I don't think Padilla played the most amazing football game ever, but he played a whole hell of a lot better than Petrus has. Which again, it's not saying a whole lot. There were a few frustrating moments, like Iowa forced Minnesota to turn the ball over on downs late in the game, but instead of trying to you know score, they just ran up the middle twice with Padilla and then tried to score in the last play with Goodson. And Padilla went in the press conference and said their whole goal in that was not to score, but to get Minnesota to waste their timeouts, which I I guess to a certain extent makes sense. But if you scored a touchdown, instead of taking the field goal, you'll go from being up by five to being up by nine. Is that... It's a whole four-point difference there. You would have won the game regardless anyways. You would have had, the timeouts are useless. You're down by nine points. What are they going to do? So I don't know. That, that A lot of people were on Brian Ferentz about that one. That was all Kirk Ferentz. I mean, Kirk Ferentz has done that his entire career at Iowa. Be the conservative guy. There's very rare Iowa run up the score on people. But it happens every once in a while. It happens. 
But that was very confusing because if you scored, it didn't matter if Minnesota had a timeout or not, you would have won the game. You would have scored over 30 points, which would have been really cool to see. But no, I, I'm not going to complain about the win. It's a very impressive win. It's a very nice win over Iowa. They should have won, and they did. And then next week, they're taking on Illinois, a team that beat Minnesota last week. And Tanner Morgan, unsurprisingly, still stinks. We knew that going in. Uh, Kai Thomas, their third running back of the season. He ran for over 100 yards in the game. Uh, Chris Autumn Bell had over 100 yards receiving in the game. Yeah, no, it was a it was a nice game. Nice win for Iowa. Hey, you, you can get all critique you want after a win. It doesn't really matter how you got the win as long as you got the win. But if you had to critique the logic behind money than the waste of timeouts versus just scoring a touchdown and not making the timeouts matter at all. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me, but that's that's regard that's beside the point because Minnesota was driving. If they didn't have the random play at the end of the game where they sacked Tanner Morgan, Minnesota was moving the ball fairly easily. Iowa was giving everything to them in the middle of the field. And in college, it doesn't matter because you're the first down the once you get past the first down mark, the clock stops. It's not NFL where you have to run up there really fast. No, you can kind of take your time to a certain extent to get up to the line of scrimmage there. But Iowa won, so it doesn't matter. 27-22 to 22 victors there, and that is seven years. Seven in a row for Iowa over Minnesota. This raises a fun question. I would like to ask this at the end of the year because we've obviously had two games. Who wins first against Iowa, Nebraska, Iowa State, or Minnesota? Who wins first out of those three? Because <laughs> they're all... They can't beat Iowa for some reason. Now, knock on wood, because I've I've said this before this year, that Nebraska kind of makes me nervous this year. More year, more nervous this year than I have been in previous years. And I don't know why, because Nebraska's not very good, but they have shown signs of them being somewhat competent at times this season. But who will win first, Iowa State, Nebraska, or Minnesota? Fun, fun, fun thing to think about. Very fun thing to think about. But speaking of Iowa State, they lost to Texas Tech this weekend. And it wasn't a normal loss. It was not a normal loss. A 62-yard field goal for the win. 62-yard field goal for the win. And this brings... I made this point to some of my friends last night because Iowa State lost to Texas Tech. It doesn't bother me if Texas Iowa State loses or wins. I really don't care. Never really have cared. I just kind of like making fun of my friends. It doesn't make me... It doesn't ruin my weekend if Iowa State... If Iowa loses and Iowa State wins... Oh, I'm crushed! No. Like, people ask me who you're cheering for in the playoffs. Nobody. I don't really care. If my team's not involved in a game, I really don't care what happens. You would, obviously, if certain scenarios take place, like if playoff scenarios are taking place, like the Patriots need to win, if the Bills win and the Patriots lose, then the Bills win the division or something like that in a hypothetical scenario, then I care. Then I'll go like, okay, go on whoever you are. Or if it's going to be funny, like the Jets beating the Titans, I hate the Jets, but I also hate the Titans. So you know what? Because the Jets looked incompetent for the first few weeks of the season, I want them to beat the Titans. I don't care about the Bucks, but hey, watch the watch the football team beat them. I wasn't cheering for them, but that was pretty funny to watch. <laughs> but seeing Iowa State lose on a 62-yard field goal was tough to watch, especially when you have their third-string quarterback making his first ever start in college football. Remember all the excuses you heard a few weeks ago about if Sean Clifford doesn't get hurt, Iowa loses to them. Well, if Tyler Show and Columbia get hurt against Texas Tech, well, guess what? Or against Iowa State, Donovan Smith still beats them. So there was a question a few weeks ago one of my friends posed. It was during the Bills-Chiefs game, which is right after the Iowa versus Penn State game. It was if Josh Allen gets hurt, would the Bills still be expected to win? Okay? Injuries happen. So I posed the question, 
if Texas Tech starter and backup both got hurt and Texas Tech was making their having a quarterback start his first ever game against Iowa State, would they still be expected to win? It doesn't matter because injuries happen. And Texas Tech still won, which like Penn State could have still won the game with their freshman quarterback. It happens. Would it have been easier with Sean Clifford? Sure. But it would have been a whole lot worse. If Donovan Smith's doing this against Iowa State, what's Tyler Show going to do against Iowa State? Who's better than Donovan Smith? Like, this stuff happens. It's just funny to think about. It's like, don't start making fun of people for storming the field when you're favored. Don't do that. But then you're favored against Oklahoma State by seven, which is more points than Iowa was favored against Penn State, and they stormed the field. That doesn't matter then. But I've started to come to the realization of this. Because in, in these chats that I've had with in my fantasy football chat, like we've talked about, there's a lot of Iowa State fans in there. We went to Johnston right next to John Deere, which is a lot of connections with Iowa State. And I started to come to this realization, like one of my friends, he's an Arkansas fan. We went to go watch football with him last week, so congratulations to Ryan. We were talking about this. And it was like the Penn State game hurt a few of our friends. He was telling me this because he still sees them in person. I haven't seen a few of them in person in a few years. He said that game hurt them a lot. And I think I found out the reason why. It's basically along the lines of, this is supposed to be Iowa State's best ever team. This has been slammed down our throats for the past two years. And Iowa is still better than them. On a year that Iowa was supposed to be around 8-4, and four, which is still a possibility. But this wasn't supposed to be an insane year for Iowa. But Iowa State, this was their best team. They were 7th ranked in the nation preseason. Dark horse for the college ball playoff. Made the Big 12 championship game last year. Fiesta Bowl. And now we're 6-4 and four and have lost to... Got brutalized against Iowa. That score doesn't show how bad that game was. You lost to Texas Tech. Almost lost to UNI. A team you're fair by 31 points to beat, which we talked about before. If you took that bet, you're stupid. And West Virginia, which now the West Virginia game was controversial. We will say that. Still doesn't matter. It's supposed to be the best team ever. And yet Iowa's still better. I think that's the problem here. Like, Iowa State, we talked about this a few weeks ago, is the most hated state in the state of, team in the state of Iowa. Because they tried to bring that up. This is why Iowa is the most hated team. They're not. I went to UNI. <laughs> I grew up an Iowa fan. I know at both schools, that out of the two, three, two, three, two of the big three schools in Iowa, UNI and Iowa have more Iowa fans than Iowa State. They, Iowa State's the most hated team in the state of Iowa. <laughs> but it hurts because Iowa's not supposed to be good this year. Comparatively... Going into the season, if you found Iowa fans that were confident going into that game against Iowa State, prior to the Indiana game, you'd probably find, what, two, three people? Like, I was talking to Iowa fans while I was at the Iowa-Indiana game and said, what do you think after this? Well, I think we'll go one and one. If we beat Indiana, we'll lose to Iowa State. If we lose to Indiana, we'll lose to, or beat Iowa State. There was not very confident fans going into the Iowa State game before the Indiana game. After the Indiana game, it was like, oh, yeah, Iowa can win. And it was like, oh, well, Iowa State can't always lose to Iowa. And they can't, and they still have. I think that's the real issue here. Because I really see no animosity towards Iowa State. I like kind of poking fun. Iowa State, like the fact they have just passed Indiana for bowl wins, I think that's really funny to bring up when they brought up last year how bad the Big Ten was because Indiana was leading it. Like, that was really funny to bring up, but it doesn't really pain me to go, oh, yeah, Iowa State lost to Texas, or make me, did I jump for joy after Iowa State beat, lost to Texas Tech? No. Did I laugh? Yeah, because I didn't really know what to do. <laughs> it was, a, I never thought I'd see a 62-yard field goal in college football. I never thought I'd see that. It wasn't like, 
oh my god, they lost lots of Texas Tech. No, it was like, oh my god, he made a 62-yard field goal. That was the initial reaction. And then I texted them. I was like, oh my god. And then I had to poke the bear a little bit because I even said just for jokes, would the quarterback situation matter? Like that whole situation we just talked about earlier. Yeah, it's kind of just funny at this point. Uh, this was this has been the past two years. Media has talked about it for the past two years. Not even just fans. It's media that's talked about it. It's ridiculous. Then the whole, every time Iowa State wears a black uniform, I see more Iowa State fans going, oh, you should have copied Iowa. Every time a black uniform pops up. It's like, I think they care more about that than Iowa does. I like to bring up that, oh, yeah, we wore black uniforms. Oh, you copied Iowa. I've never heard a lot of, I've not heard a lot of Iowa fans talk about that. Every time I see that on Twitter, it's an Iowa State person talking about Chris Williams, who works here in Des Moines, he talks about it. He does radio here. Iowa State guy. A lot of my friends that we've talked about earlier bring it up more than I do, or any Iowa people talk about. It's really just a one-way street here. Like, when I brought that up, he all, one of the people also said, uh, we also didn't claim to be the second-best team in the nation. I said, no one, no Iowa fan thought they were the second-best team in America. You watch Iowa football this year, what offense, that offense did not, let alone the entire team, the offense did not deserve to be number two. No one thought Iowa deserved to be number two. (laughs) But it was like, oh, you guys thought you deserved to be number, no. No, 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 no. I was shocked they moved up to 10 from 18 after they beat Indiana. And then they moved up to number two. I I remember after Alabama lost to A&M, my reaction was, oh my God, Spencer Peters is the quarterback of the number two team in the nation. That sentence is stupid, how that is allowed to be said at any point, throughout any time ever, that Spencer Petras was allowed to be the number two, the quarterback of the number two ranked team in the nation. If you could find Iowa fans that said that they deserve to be number two, I will pay you $15. Because I know none of them that said they deserve to be number two in the nation. Like, all these things that keep getting brought up, it's not ever an Iowa fan that I've seen talk about it. And as an Iowa fan, I have a lot of people I follow on social media that are Iowa fans. So you would think if this is, gets brought up as much as people say it does, I would see it because, you know, yeah, Iowa fans would talk about it. But no, it's never that way. <laughs> it's a very one-way street here. And like they had a playing the team from the East in their locker room. That was what their sign was. Because in college football, we had this at William Penn. You have a clock in your locker room and it says... Whatever team you're playing, and it has days, hours, minutes, seconds to when you're playing that team. They have team from the East is who they're playing. Yeah, I just think it's funny. <laughs> it doesn't affect me if Iowa State wins. Like, they lost to West Virginia, and I felt bad for them. That was a really rough loss. I feel bad for them losing to Texas Tech on a 62-yard field goal. But cheer. I was happy when they beat Oklahoma State. I thought that was cool. I was happy when they beat them a few years ago. When Oklahoma State was number two in the nation with Brandon Whedon and Justin Blackman. I thought that was really cool. Jeff Woody scoring the game-winning touchdown. But it's still kind of funny. You have to... It is funny. (laughs) It is kind of funny. Oh, man. And then the other game we wanted to talk about, and I also enjoyed them doing this. They beat Texas last week, 30-7. to And then Texas, this week, loses to Kansas. To freaking Kansas. They've lost five straight games, Texas, and not to the world beaters that you would expect. There's some good teams in there, like Oklahoma's a good team. I mean, they just lost to Baylor, 
But Oklahoma State's not a world beater. Baylor's really not world beaters. Iowa State, though this is their best team ever, they ain't world beaters. And then Kansas. Lost to Art, got piss pounded by Arkansas earlier this year, too. Remember that? Like, this game was awful for Texas. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. Kansas versus Texas was a beautiful game. <laughs> and Jalen Daniels balled out three passing touchdowns in the game, had a rushing touchdown there as well. Devin Neal, three touchdowns on the ground, 143 yards. And oh my God, I was stressing so much like I was a Kansas fan. Oh my goodness, I was under a lot of stress. It was 35-14 to 14 at halftime, and the Texas scored 21 points in the third quarter. And then 14 points in the fourth. And then Kansas decides, you know what, we're going to go for it on fourth down in Texas territory. Good Lord, Texas territory. And then don't get it. Not even close. Kansas, I saw, they sewed this with Leipold, who's the head coach. It was, I don't remember if it was Nation or just the Big 12. Either way, their first and fourth down attempts, their last and fourth down conversions. That is crazy and <laughs> very funny that they keep going for it. But they did it there in Texas territory while winning, might I add. And then Casey Thompson gifts the ball back to Texas or Kansas and throws an interception. And then we go to overtime. And then Texas scores first. And I'm sitting there like, oh, my God, Kansas just blew the game. Kansas just blew the game. Texas goes down after the interception. Kansas punts finally. And then Texas marched right down the field to score the force overtime. They score, take the lead. Kansas gets the ball, scores. And they go for two. Unsurprising. I mean, if you're that much of an underdog or that you're never expected to win this game, go for two. What do you have to lose? We People up in Cedar Falls made this big deal when Iowa State beat you and I a few years ago. Remember when you and I took Iowa State to like double or triple overtime with Will McIlvain's first season as a starting quarterback? When they, Iowa State was massive favorites again? And you and I didn't go for it. They kicked a field goal. In hindsight, would Farley kick a field goal? No, I bet he would go for two. He said that before. This is like that situation. You're this massive underdog. You have not won a Big 12 road game in forever. And now you're taking on Texas, who's going to the SEC. And you win. And you make the two-point conversion. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful game. All around. Great game. Oh, my God, it was awesome. Texas quarterbacks combined for four turnovers. I get Casey Thompson six passing touchdowns. But that's what's expected when you're playing freaking Kansas. And my dad brought this up during the game. It was like Kansas can fight. There's going to be a point in time where Texas's like talent comes through. And that's what it felt like towards the end of the game. Like, okay, Kansas was up. Kansas was winning. Kansas had a chance to win. Now Kansas is losing and will lose. That was what, what it felt like watching the game. And then they didn't. Then they didn't lose. And then they won. It was beautiful. <laughs> Everything was awesome. I stayed up. I wanted to go to bed at 930 last night. Okay. Saturday night. I, I wanted to go to bed at 930. I went to bed at like 11 because I was watching this stupid game and I had to watch the interviews after the game. I was so invested in Kansas beating Texas. I have no idea why. I could really care less about Texas. I just think it's funny. And we've made fun of them about this numerous times. I think everybody in the nation has about moving to the SEC for being pretty average and below average this year. First time losing five straight games, like 1955 or something like that. It's beautiful. They're like, do you call it elitism by Texas, even though they're not elite? 
And he just got piss patted by 23 by Iowa State. Much like Minnesota and Iowa, Iowa State should never beat Texas. That's not an insult, okay? That's looking at what they do in recruiting, what they do in their history. Like, we talk about Matt Campbell's 40% of Iowa State's Big 12 wins. That's terrible. <laughs> that, that is how good Matt Campbell's been and how terrible Iowa State has been throughout their history. Texas should not lose to Iowa State. Ever. Doesn't matter if you're affiliated with Iowa State or not. I think most Iowa State fans would agree with that statement. Not only that, you lose to Kansas. And this is the SEC. Two teams from the Big 12 that are moving to the SEC both lost this weekend. Oklahoma and Texas both lost embarrassing games. Oklahoma just got beat by double digits by Baylor, who they're favored to beat by, like, double digits. And then Texas lost to Kansas. Kansas has two wins on the year. One against Texas, and the other one against South Dakota, who did win on an awesome Hail Mary play this weekend, so I'll give them full credit for that. I took a recruiting trip up to South Dakota. But, man, that was awesome. And what was also awesome, moving on, well, no, we got to do we gotta do uh, Heisman stuff real quick. I was going to move on to soccer real quick for the United States game. We'll come back to that in a little bit. I have to make a little note to myself so I don't forget about that, because I probably will. So I've done it before. I've t- tried to talk about certain things before and just completely spaced it. So I'm gonna make I'm gonna put a tab up on my computer so I don't forget about it. If I forget about it, yell at me the next time you see me. But Heisman talk. I think there's four people we can really talk about for Heisman, and I think most people would agree with this. C.J. Stroud. This is nowhere. Stroud, Bryce Young, Matt Corral, and Kenneth Walker. The leader right now, according to most betting places, is Bryce Young. I think the winner should be Kenneth Walker. I think the winner should be Kenneth Walker. I mean, Bryce Young has balled out this year. We knew he'd ball out. We talked about this in the preseason. We talked about this last year. We knew Bryce Young would be a baller. They were comparing to the freaking Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson coming out of high school. Came from Matter Day. Talent-wise, he is more talent than Matt Jones. He is the most talented quarterback Nick Saban's ever worked with. We said that last year. You can go look at old Logan Blackman shows to hear me talk about that. When COVID was kicking off, we had nothing really to talk about. Mac Jones versus Bryce Young was one of the things we talked about quite a bit. Bryce Young's a baller, and I think he should finish second in the Heisman. But I think Kenneth Walker, for what he's done for Michigan State and how important he is to Michigan State, I don't think if you took if you took Bryce Young out of Alabama, would they still be really good? Yes. If you took Kenneth Walker out of Michigan State, would they be as good as what they are right now? No. Because Kenneth Walker has done everything for Michigan State. 17 touchdowns, 1,400 yards rushing this season, multiple 200-yard rushing games, multiple games of over 120 yards rushing. Like, this dude, multiple three-plus touchdown games. This dude's insane this year. I don't know what the record is for touchdowns in the season for college football, but good Lord, this dude might reach it. It could be like 30 touchdowns, and then he probably won't reach it, but I, I don't know what the record is. But I think if we're just talking about importance to a team, and I get I get it's not always about that, but Kenneth Walker's balling out. And I don't think Michigan State's anywhere near the team they are right now without Kenneth Walker. I think Alabama would be worse without Bryce Young, but would they still be one of the top four teams in the nation? Probably. If not, at worst, sixth. I don't know who their backup is right now, but Bryce Young's a baller. Don't get me wrong. I think the order of the Heisman Trophy will probably finish, and this is how I would order it. Kenneth Walker, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Matt Corral. That's how I would order it. 
That's not going to be right, but that's how I would order. It could be right. That's not going off what betters are saying. That's going off what I've seen this year and how dominant Kenneth Walker has been. There's rarely been games he has been shut down this year. Bryce Young did not play very good against Texas A&M, the, Iowa, the game they lost. He did not play terrible or bad per se, but for what you would expect for Heisman, that's what you you don't need those games. But when you're playing a game against a top 10 team like Michigan State was against Michigan, and you go out in there and score five touchdowns and have almost 200 yards rushing, 8.6 yards per carry against a top seven team in Michigan, that's a Heisman moment. I would say that's his Heisman moment. So you look at the other guys that are in the conversation for Heisman this year. Bryce Young had a really nice game this weekend, but what's his Heisman moment? What, what, what comes to mind when you're thinking of Bryce Young's Heisman moment? Can you think of one? I mean, 35, 33 touchdowns, three interceptions. Nothing to be sniffed at whatsoever. But he hasn't had an insane, insane game this year. He's had an all right, a game that, comparatively to what he's done this year, has been bad against AM. He still threw three passing touchdowns in that game. Ole Miss, a game that was supposed to be close, and Alabama made it never close, but you could say Brian Robinson won the game for Alabama that day. It's like you can't really... He had five passing touchdowns against New Mexico State, but that's kind of expected at this point. I think he should finish second. But again, I don't think anybody in this country right now is as important to their team than Kenneth Walker has been. But if you're looking at how good the team is in regards to rankings and the numbers they're putting up, the wins they've gotten, and how they've gotten these wins, I think it has to be Kenneth Walker. I think it has to be Kenneth Walker. And that, and if we're talking about the draft, that's completely different. Because again, I said this on Friday, I think Brees Hall is the number one running back in the draft. But Kenneth Walker, to me, is the number one running back right now in college football and should win the Heisman Trophy. The draft and the Heisman and best running back in college versus the NFL are completely different things. Tim Tebow was the best quarterback in college football. He was never the best quarterback in the NFL draft. There are certain things you look at in regards to draft versus college that are completely different things. Brees Hall's usage in the pass game makes him more, what do you call it, more enticing to scouts and his consistency. Kenneth Walker kind of exploded this year, which is no fault of his. He transferred from Wake Forest. I believe it was Wake Forest anyways. Brees Hall had 800-something yards his first year, 1,000, led the nation rushing, and then 1,000 again. And he's top five in rushing, or at least he was this weekend. I don't know if he still is. He had a nice game this weekend, two touchdowns rushing against Texas Tech. What's he at? He's sixth in the nation. And he averages more yards per carry than... Wait, no, wait, wait. No, I was looking at the guy above him, Abraham Smith from Baylor. Abram Smith from Baylor, sorry. But Brees Hall, I would take number one out of the running backs, but Kenneth Walker, it's not saying anything bad about Kenneth Walker. It's more about saying how good I think Brees Hall when you're talking about scouting purposes for the NFL. But that's what I would do for awards for both the NFL and college. But before we close out today's show, I have to talk about this. You and I lost Missouri State this weekend. <laughs> you and I is now out of the call or the FCS playoffs. At least they should be. I mean, you lose to Illinois State on the road. and, then you, and it, Missouri State's not a bad loss this year. In previous years, this would be a miserable loss, but they didn't show up again until the second half. Bradrick Shaw being out for you and I was massive. Theo Day threw two interceptions, one in the first drive of back-to-back games, which is not ideal. But yeah, they're out of the playoff, and just not a great game. You lost by seven. I mean, you came back. 34-27 was the final, but you can't lose back-to-back games to teams like that. 
and go to the playoff. I really doubt that. You and I right now is five and five. They're three and four at home. This are three and four in the conference, three and one at home this season. And now they're going against Western Illinois this next weekend, which previous years would have been a walk in the park for everybody. And two and eight is still something to be laughed at. They're a bad team, but they beat Illinois State earlier this year. You and I just lost to them to last week, and they beat Illinois State. So this is not a game that you and I could just look past like they normally could have. And they almost beat Southern Illinois as well. They lost to them by one point. Like this is a for two and one, two and eight. They're tough. Two and eight. They're a tough. Two and eight. I'll give them somewhat credit for that. But then also the final thing I want to talk about: the United States beat Mexico on Saturday, which was an amazing game. It's the first time that. A team from Mexico or the United States in this rivalry has won three games in the calendar year since 1937. 1937! And the United States have done it. And not only that, this has put them on top of qualifying for World Cup qualifying. And if you look at the three wins for the United States, you have the Nation League final, you have the Gold Cup final, and you have this game. This was the most important one. Because CONCACAF Gold Cup, yeah, great stuff. You love beating Mexico, especially in tournament finals, like both of those games. Nations League, just really, it just started. I mean, still an insane win. Awesome game to watch. Pool six penalty. Andres Guadrado's penalty missed. Ethan Horvath saved it. Awesome game. Then you beat them in the Gold Cup with a backup team, pretty much. And then you beat them in World Cup qualifying. But for the United States and them not making the last World Cup, this game is massive. They needed this game, especially not showing up really against El Salvador and not really showing up against Panama. These this was a massive game. And not showing up late. They showed up late against Honduras and ended up winning the game fairly easily, but started off really rough for the United States in that game. Scored all their goals really late. But winning 2 nothing against Mexico, beating Costa Rica 2 to 1 is awesome. That's what you need this. Now you're taking on Jamaica, a team they should easily just brush aside. They beat them 2 nothing last time they played them in Austin. Now they're playing in Kingston. This is big. The United States needed this game. They needed a result like this, and they got one. And it had to be Christian Pulisic. He has some injury problems right now with the hamstring issue, but good Lord, you want your best players to step up in the biggest occasions, and that is exactly what he did. Tim Weah played an awesome game as well. Beautiful game. Zach Steffen, this is a great problem to have. I was really surprised Zach Steffen was announced as the starter prior to this game. I was really surprised about that based off what Matt Turner had done previously with the United States. But like we said earlier, when the Gold Cup ended, we can't. I know I've said before that I thought Matt Turner had somewhat creeped ahead of Zach Steffen, but we can't really judge the pair unless we see Zach Steffen do something again. Because we hadn't seen Zach Steffen do anything in a while. He got hurt in the Nations League final. Didn't play in the Gold Cup, and he's had a few games this season in the for the United States. Matt Turner played an entire tournament for the Gold Cup and played really well. One goalkeeper of the tournament. Had an insane tournament. I think he allowed one goal from open play in the tournament. But Zach Steffen played his ass off. And it was a really easy game. I don't think there was a time apart from Herving Lozano's attempt on goal that Zach Steffen saved and DeAndre Yedlin forced Chucky Lozano to move out wide. That was the only time I was nervous that entire game. United States dominated Mexico. And remember, Guillermo Ochoa, Mexico is the mirror which the United States wants to be. Sees in the mirror what the United States wants to be. And Christian Pulisic, after he scored the header with a beautiful Tim Way across, lifts up his shirt, the man in the mirror. 
freaking awesome. And then, of course, your second best player, arguably, Weston McKinney, scores the second goal. And they dominated Mexico. Beautiful game. I was hyped for this game. And this game proved to be awesome. We're going to do some United States stuff coming up in a little bit. This is the last game in World Cup qualifying for the 2021 session. Because they played Jamaica on the 16th. And then they play a friendly against Bosnia on December 18th. And then they got World Cup qualifying resuming back in January 27th against El Salvador. And then Canada on January 30th. And yeah. Whew. They needed that. They needed, needed, needed that game. And they got it. Now they're leading World Cup qualifying. That's beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. Oh, so exciting. <laughs> it's nice. Oh, they might actually do it. They might actually make a World Cup. Oh, my goodness. With this crop of players, though, they're really they're really fun to watch. And you could make an, a really good argument right now that Yedlin might have passed Dest for right back. Maybe. You can make an argument Dest played... Yedlin played really, really well, but I would still say Dest is number one. But I, you could make an argument that Yedlin has passed him. But yeah, this is awesome. Very exciting game. Very fun win. And hopefully they carry that form into a take on Jamaica, which is... Jamaica's played really bad this World Cup qualifying. They played really, really bad. They're... the. They're sixth in standings right now. They've gotten a few wins recently. They have six points right now. The United States is on top with 14 with a plus seven goal difference. Canada is in third. Mexico is in second with 14 with a plus five goal difference. Then we got Panama in fourth and Costa Rica sitting in fifth on six points. That's big. That's very, very big. It would not, I'm kind of, I want Canada to make a World Cup. I would like to see them make a World Cup. But with that being said, I think that is all I've got for you today. If not, I completely forgot. And I believe really forgot what I was going to tell you. And that's on me. But hopefully we don't do that. And hopefully that was all I need to talk about. But yeah, good wins for the Bills. Good wins for Iowa. Uh, William Penn got a massive 71-6 win this past weekend to see off the seniors. Had a few friends still on William Penn's football team. So that's awesome to see. Congratulations to them on the great finish to their careers. Winning a massive game like that at home for senior day. Congratulations to them, Ben. Congrats on being William Penn's all-time leading rusher. And yeah. That's all I've got for you today. Hope you enjoyed the show. If you did not, I can only apologize about that, and we will try to do better the next time. Hope you liked the award predictions as well. If not, again, sorry. <laughs> so, yeah, I think Kenneth Walker should win the Heisman. I think the NFL awards, Brady for MVP, Cooper Cup, Offensive Player of the Year, Miles Garrett, Defensive Player of the Year, uh, Jamar Chase, Rookie of the Year, Offensive Rookie of the Year, Micah Parsons, Defensive, Cliff Kingsbury, Coach of the Year, and Dak Prescott, Comeback Player of the Year. And with that, I will see you all later. Have a good rest of your day. See you next time. Peace.